Last week we saw that if Solomon did not become king, that would mean that we can't trust God. Because God promised that Solomon was going to become king. And so as God fulfilled his promises and made Solomon king, he also was creating a type of Christ. He was creating a type. Now, kids, do you know what a type is? That's a really hard word. A type. Anybody? All right. I guess I better define that. A type is something or someone that comes before and foreshadows the real deal, the final reality. So we have many, many types in the Old Testament, people that point forward to Jesus Christ, because they look like him in some way. And I don't mean they had the same eyes or hair or anything like that. I mean that they were fulfilling a particular function for the Old Testament people that Christ would finally fulfill for all of his people. So, for example, Solomon being king points forward to the fact that Jesus Christ is the final true king. So Solomon is a type of Christ because he is a king over God's people. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters because Solomon is a type of Christ, not just in the fact that he is king, but in many other ways that he represents Christ as he does the work of being a king. In the first part of Kings, we have Solomon fulfilling many of the promises of God that are meant to be pictures pointing us forward to the ultimate fulfillment of the promises that God made that his Messiah would fulfill. But it's worth noting that there is a section coming where Solomon is not a good picture of Jesus Christ. There are plenty of things that Solomon did that were not pointing us forward to Christ, but were reminding us of ways that we have to be careful not to fall into sin the way that he did. Does that mean that Solomon is not a good type? No, actually... In some ways, this was necessary so that we and the people who lived at the time of Solomon could see that Solomon was only a type. A type points forward to the final fulfillment. A type is not the final fulfillment. And if Solomon had been as perfect as the Messiah, it would have been very easy for people to get confused and think, oh, Solomon is the one we've been waiting for. But God is always careful to remind us 
with the types that he gives us that they're not the final fulfillment. They're just a type. So in the passage that we read this morning, we saw some ways that Solomon is a type of Christ. A person who points forward to Jesus and reminds us that we are to look to Jesus for our hope and our salvation. So let's look at Solomon for a little bit. We've got this We've got this crazy son of David, Adonijah, who decides that he's going to be king without permission. And he leads a rebellion, just like David's son Absalom had done many years before. And he decides that he's going to take the throne, he's going to take the crown, and he does everything he can Now, when you think of Jesus, some of you may think of him as a little baby because that's when we, that's when we think of Jesus in his human form coming to earth. And some of you may think of him as an adult on the cross. And some of you may think of him as he is in heaven crowned with glory, and some of you may think of him as he is when he will return with a sword. All of these are accurate pictures of Jesus, but let's go back all the way to the the beginning. When he first comes, there's nothing really very impressive about Jesus, is there, when he comes as a baby? He's just a baby. And there's nothing truly glorious or kingly about him. And when Jesus is described as meek, we realize that it applies to his his whole life. There's nothing noteworthy that he does basically for the first 30 years of his life except exist. Now this is somewhat similar to Solomon here. What else have we heard about Solomon prior to him becoming king? Not much. Not really anything noteworthy. He doesn't have any sort of uh, notoriety. He doesn't have any sort of uh, famous thing that he has done or brilliant, amazing way that he has led. He has not sought to bring glory to himself. We really don't see much of anything. And so when you think of Solomon and Christ, this is one of the ways that Solomon is a good type of Christ. Because they both appear to basically be not too impressive. Nobody that you really need to worry about. 
Who's scared of a little baby? Do you have any reason to be scared of a little baby? No. There's nothing to worry about. And even though he, Solomon's not a little baby anymore, he's a grown-up, there still doesn't appear to be any worry on the part of Adonijah or all of the people who go along with Adonijah's plan that Solomon is going to do anything about it. Similarly, people thought that they could overwhelm Christ. When he began his ministry, there were plenty of people who misjudged him. They misjudged his wisdom. They misjudged his character. They misjudged his importance. They thought he was just another teacher and not even one who was really well-trained, you know? And there were times where they thought they could just kill him when he made them mad. Everybody underestimated Jesus. And everybody was underestimating Solomon here. But when the time came for him to become king, he was king, wasn't he? And all of a sudden, everybody realized they had something to be afraid of. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross, people thought that the battle had been won. All of a sudden, some people began to get a little nervous. You remember the guy stand, the, the soldier? The centurion standing under the cross, truly this was the Son of God. Things began to look a little bit different as time moved along. And people began to realize, this is not just some guy, this is a king. This is a king. And he may be meek, and he may not be drawing a lot of attention to himself, And he may not be grasping for the kingship. But when his father says he's going to be king, it's not simply the strength of the father that makes him king. David was old. David was tired. David did not have the strength to force anything. And as we'll see in the coming chapter, David gives a charge to his son Solomon, basically, finish all the work that I couldn't do <laughs> because I'm too weak, too old, too tired, or was too uh, cowardly to do it in my lifetime. There's several different things that David tells Solomon he needs to do. And you know what, Solomon? He does them. He gets all those things that his father instructs him to do. He gets them done. 
And this is what we see with Jesus as well. He gets every last bit of the work that he was supposed to do on earth done. And then he says, it is finished. All his work is done. Everything that his father had given him to do, it is finished. Now, Solomon and Christ are both meek. They're both misjudged. They're both misjudged particularly by the powerful, particularly by the wise, particularly by the influential. They all want to throw their weight behind somebody who has the appearance of being able to really get things done. And by really get things done, they mean help them. But Solomon, Solomon and Christ both are greeted by the rejoicing of crowds of nobodies. Crowds of nobodies celebrate Jesus. Crowds of nobodies celebrate Solomon. All the important people, all the princes, every last one of the princes is gone. Can you imagine having King David, old, decrepit, tired, few people from his royal guard, Nathan and one priest, and then all the people. But can you imagine what it would be like for you to be one of the people that's there and you're looking around and you're like, where are all the other princes? <laughs> where are all the royals? Where is the other priest? Where are the important people? They're all missing. Who cares? Let's celebrate. Who cares? We have a new king. Let's celebrate. Who cares? This guy is here with us. He's not off celebrating with the important people. He's here with us. You see the difference between Adonijah and Solomon, right? Adonijah's off having a great big feast for himself and the important people. Meanwhile, Solomon is with the people. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he came to earth. He spent his time with the people. And when the important people wanted to, to be in touch with him, well, yeah, I mean, you can come out here along with the other crowds and you can talk to me. And you might not like what I say in response in front of everybody. When Jesus was on earth the first time. What did he do? He said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the important people. I came for the nobodies. And the nobodies loved him. And so when you see the celebration that we read about with Solomon, 
becoming king, and it says the earth split. That was quite the celebration, wasn't it? (laughs) They were excited to have a king. They were excited that it wasn't David anymore. Let's be honest. David wasn't doing much. He wasn't really able to look out for the people anymore. There's a reason that Adonijah had been able to get a get a following, right? But if you had to pick between Adonijah, who's always running you off the street with his crowds of men running in front of him and his chariots and his horses, anytime he goes anywhere, oh, here comes the important guy again. Better get out of the way. Don't want to get trampled. Or Solomon who David says, here he is, he's king. Oh, you know what? I don't know much about this Solomon guy, but he's not nearly as rude as this Adonijah. (laughs) Sounds like a better king to me. And so Solomon is a type of Christ in who celebrates in who he goes to. Now, a few more ways that Solomon is a type of Christ. Both come suddenly, unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, if you will, catching the proud by surprise. Even as Adonijah's doom is coming upon him, he doesn't realize it. They hear the celebration, they hear the crowds, they hear the music, they're like, what is going on? Our party's getting dwarfed by something tremendous. Joab is a military commander, and so you know what Joab's mind goes to. War! Give me my sword! Must be fighting to do. That's all I'm good for. It's not fighting, though, is it? Adonijah says, Come in, for you are a valiant man and bring good news to the messenger. Who is the messenger? Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of the priest that was with Adonijah. Now, little side note here. Jonathan has been a messenger before. Jonathan was the messenger that ran back and forth between David and Jerusalem when Absalom was doing exactly what Adonijah is doing, trying to take over the kingdom. So imagine the two times that we hear about Jonathan, basically. We've got Jonathan bringing messages back and forth, and Jonathan bringing messages back and forth. Right? This is, this is what we see Jonathan do. And one time, he's serving 
the king. And the next time, what's he doing? The next time he's serving the rebel. What a sad, sad change from the beginning of his life as a young man, where he's the hero of the story, hiding in a well, trying to get the important information to David outside the city. To later in his life, what is he good for? Well, he's a rebel now. Now he's part of the conspiracy. There has been a change with him, hasn't there? And what was the change? Well, the change was his father. His father had been a faithful servant to King David and now was part of the conspiracy. And Jonathan went with his father instead of with the king. It's it's a tough choice, isn't it? Men, if your father is leading you away from God, you follow the king, not your father. There's nobody more important on earth than your dad except King Jesus. If the choice is ever between the two of them, you know who you're supposed to serve. King Jesus. Now how does this relate to Solomon being a type of Christ? Well, Adonijah doesn't know that disaster has befallen him already, right? Solomon has been anointed king. All the people are on his side. And it doesn't matter how many important people you have. If the crowds are celebrating, you can't change that. And so he doesn't know it yet but his doom is upon him. And what does he say? Come in, for you are a valiant man and bring good news. He says this to this man, Jonathan. Is he right? Did Jonathan bring good news? No. I see that head shaking. No. (laughs) He did not bring good news. Well, he brought good news for the kingdom, right? The good news is a king, a king has been established, anointed, put on the throne in Israel. God has provided a king for his people to lead them. You couldn't ask for better news. But it is bad news for rebels. And this is one of the ways that Solomon is like Jesus. He is suddenly and unexpectedly thrust into their life in a way that makes it very bad 
news. And so, although Adonijah says, come in for you are a valiant man and bring good news, Jonathan says, no. No, I don't bring good news. No. And then he proceeds to give all the, all the news. And the news is like one bad thing after another, such that by the time he's done speaking, everybody in the room is terrified. Everybody in the room is terrified. And listen, anybody who hears Jesus Christ is king, who is not a servant of Jesus Christ, it is not good news. It's good news for all of God's people. But for everybody else, it is terror. It is the stench of death. It is the stumbling block. It is the foolishness. It is not what they want to hear. There's a king over me? He's going to require me? To give an accounting for what I've done? I don't want to be associated with this rebel band anymore. Get me out of here. I've got enough sins on my own. I don't want to be caught up in everybody else's. I don't want everybody else's punishment to come on me. And so they all run away. This is what happens when the news comes to Adonijah. And we will see that it was not, a, uh, not an empty fear. It was fear for good reason that all of the, all of the people ran away. And we get... To the end, we see that wicked, powerful men beg for their lives, beg for mercy before the king. Adonijah throws himself to the safest place that he can think of, They tell Solomon, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon. Do you think? For behold, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Please! Don't kill me. That's his, that's his only plea. I'm not coming out. I'm not letting go of the altar until I get a promise. Just that I'm not going to be executed. Both Jesus and Solomon are quite suddenly 
terrible to their enemies. Terrible for their enemies to face. Terrible just for the thought of having to face. Nobody wants to stand before the king knowing they deserve death. Can I get a promise that he won't kill me? Now, here's the beautiful thing. Both Jesus and Solomon say yes. Yes. You can come and stand before me and I won't kill you. Yes, I promise. Yes, you have my word. Both of them are merciful. Both of them are wise and merciful judges. When the wicked, when the powerful beg for their lives, Solomon says, what? If he is a worthy man, not one of his hairs will fall to the ground. But if wickedness is found in him, he will die. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He says, I will make you righteous. I will make you righteous. And you will have nothing to fear. I will come back in the coming weeks to Solomon and his wisdom, Solomon and his judgments, the way that he is indeed a terror to the wicked. You think of the New Testament, you think of Jesus I always think of the man who was demon-possessed and called himself Legion, for there were many demons within him. Do you guys remember what happens with those demons? They beg King Jesus. Don't punish us yet. Don't send us to the pit yet. These are not weak demons. These are not 
slightly scary demons. These are demons that had a man able to break chains so that no one could contain him, who made him crazy and wicked and careless for other men and for himself and his own body. They had power. When they come face to face with Jesus, all of a sudden, no! No, don't give us what we deserve. Not yet. It's not time yet, is it? I also think of the promise that the wicked will call on the mountains to fall on them. Because they'd rather face the earth collapsing onto them than face King Jesus. King Jesus is going to be revealed on his throne. All his first work on earth was done, but not all his second work. The second time he comes, he's going to come, and he will come again like a thief in the night so that nobody knows when, so that all will be caught off guard except the faithful, those who have heard the warning. He's going to come like a thief in the night. Be prepared. Don't let your candles go out. And when he is revealed on his throne, all of a sudden, what we got a little tiny glimpse of in his first time on earth, we'll get the big picture. We'll get him revealed in all his glory, in all his majesty, in all his might, in all his power. And what we must remember then and now is this. Who you are, whether you have important jobs, or whether you are a priest, or whether you are a friend of the president, or whether you have grown up in the church, who you are means nothing. Jonathan, you remember him? What you have done in the past means nothing. Are you serving the king? That's it. That's the only question. When he returns, he will separate the sheep from the goats. When he returns and comes suddenly with a sword, he will dash his enemies to pieces and he will take his chosen ones, his servants, with him to glory, to be united with him. It's a terrible thought. 
to think, I thought I was, I thought I was his friend. I thought I was on his side. I thought I was doing good things for him. And indeed, he says that when he comes, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, did I not do amazing things for you? And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Your previous commitments, your previous service, who your parents are, none of that means anything, as we see with Jonathan, with Adonijah, with Joab, and on down the line, right? When Jesus returns, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Not who were your parents, not how often did you go to church, not how did you dress, not how much money did you have, not how important did people in the church think you were, not did you teach, not how deep was your theological knowledge, not how discerning you were, not how many gifts you had, Only one thing. Is Jesus your Lord? If Jesus is your Lord, you have nothing to worry about. You get to join the celebration. But if Jesus is not your Lord, now, before it is too late, Run to the altar. Cast yourself on his mercy. Beg for forgiveness for your selfishness, for your disobedience, for your rebellion, for your lawlessness. And he is a wise and merciful judge. And he will forgive you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the picture of Jesus that we have in Solomon in the Old Testament. How it pointed forward to your Son. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would convict us of sin and righteousness and the judgment. Father, may you confirm in us the faith that you have given us as a gift. And Father, we pray that those who doubt would be comforted. And Father, those whose hearts are hard and whose consciences have been turned away from you. Father, may they be pricked and wounded so that they may be healed. We pray all of these things 
In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.